Hello and welcome back to episode 7 of Cinema at First Sight. If this is your first time tuning in, then the premise of this podcast is that I review either the first episode of a TV show or the first half of a movie and make a judgement call and rip it apart based on literally as little information as possible. So I'm back at it again today, it's currently 8, 10 a.m. I'm exhausted. I'm running on about three hours of sleep, but we're gonna persevere. We're killing it. Is this what thriving feels like? If so, it's awful and I'd rather flail, but enough about me. The TV show that I am going to be tackling the pilot of today is the Hulu original series, Only Murders in the Building, starring absolute legends Steve Martin and Martin Short, as well as Disney icon Selena Gomez. Already, right off the bat, a phenomenal trio. A quirky trio, but I feel like things are already looking good. Saying that I have already seen the show. But nevertheless, let's move on to our first question. Is this a rewatch or is this a first time watch? This show just came out on Hulu in America or Disney Plus in Australia. So this is a first time watch. And now before I get into any actual analysis, I'm gonna start as always, classic on brand, true to form with some basic plot points. So the show literally just begins as a SWAT team storms into a very lavish Upper West Side apartment building called the Arconia. Despite residents being asked to stay in their room, a daring yet panicked Oliver, played by Martin Short, and Charles, played by Steve Martin, walk into a random apartment and see Mabel, aka Selena Gomez, covered in blood, looming over a dead body before she says, it's not what it looks like. And then we instantly cut to two months earlier. I mean, already? What an opening. We've now flashed back to a time when Charles, Oliver, and Mabel barely know each other. Charles is a former TV detective whose fame has significantly dwindled, who's a bit bitter and grumpy and keeps to himself. Oliver is, I guess, rather flamboyant. He's a formerly successful and currently very financially strapped Broadway producer who seems to have little to no family, but yet still remains as chipper as ever in public. And Mabel is a random girl in her 20s whose backstory we essentially know nothing about. Except that she's sarcastic and wears headphones a lot. That's about all of the character building we've got so far. Next, we see that they're riding in a lift, or elevator, if I'm assimilating, before a young man in a suit enters, talking obnoxiously loudly on the phone. Clearly, he's upset, or in some kind of fight, and asks the person on the other end about a missing package, before exiting the elevator with a garbage bag, reading Kono in hand. It's then business as usual. The three of them head to their respective apartments and all tune into the new episode of True Crime Podcast, All Is Not Okay in Oklahoma, narrated by Cinder Canning, aka Icon Tina Fey. Literally, I reiterate, what a cast. However, just as the episode's about to truly pop off and reach its climactic high point, a fire alarm goes off and everyone has to evacuate the building. However, mysteriously on the way down, Charles notices a random person in a hoodie making their way upstairs. Who are they? Wouldn't you like to know? And also, wouldn't I like to know? I still have literally no idea. The three then once again find themselves thrust together by the fates at a local restaurant and discover that they're all listening to the same podcast. This bonding, however, is short-lived, and they try to return to their building. However, once they get there, the doorman informs them that someone on the ninth floor has killed themselves, and no one is allowed back in until the police officially give them the all clear. 
But I mean, do you think a throng of amateur crime podcast enthusiasts would actually wait patiently outside when there's the prospect of a real crime happening inside their apartment block? Not on television, they wouldn't. They sneak back in, head to the ninth floor, and discover that the man who supposedly killed himself is Kono, phone garbage elevator guy. The police declare it a suicide after finding a note taped to his computer, however, obviously, the three suspect he's been murdered. And so do I. I mean, it's named only murders in the building. That would be a major letdown. They start wondering why that guy would have even brought a garbage bag with him in the elevator when there's a garbage chute on every floor, so start rummaging through the garbage chute for clues. A classic Scooby gang move. Oliver, ever the entrepreneur, is already pitching that the three make their own true crime podcast, chronicling their sleuthing. Right before Mabel stumbles across the Kono garbage bag and finds a bunch of drafts of handwritten notes. They're just like your standard, there's nothing for me anymore, and I don't want to be lonely, and rich guys have problems too. I may be taking some creative license, but you get the gist. The bag also has a bunch of mail addressed to a Tim Kono, so finally, we know the name of our victim. Mabel and Charles are definitely the most into it, so continue their investigation together. Mabel discloses that she saw Tim a week ago with Bunny, the head of the building, asking if she received a package by accident, so clearly either the Arcadia mailroom is horrendously organized, or there's something dodge going on with Tim's parcels. They come to the conclusion that Bunny must still have the package, so go full Mission Impossible, well, semi-Mission Impossible, and try to pick her lock. Charles and Mabel have a little bond, and we find out that he's lived alone since he was 28, and that his mother treated him badly, and he's been worried history would repeat itself if he met someone, and she tells him that she's no stranger to amateur sleuthing, and that when they were kids she used to solve make-believe crimes in the apartment with her friends, who would all call themselves the Hardy Boys. Eventually, they find the package and discover that it is a very fancy ring. An engagement ring, perhaps? A gift from a dead relative? A cute little statement piece? All of the above? Oliver then reappears and announces that he has come up with the perfect name for their podcast. I mean, can you guess what it is? It's only murders in the building. There are a few random scenes throughout that I haven't really detailed, like one where Charles fully prepares and cooks himself an omelette, plates it up, and then throws it immediately in the bin. And then later on, a random neighbor stops Charles in the hallway and is like, I've smelled your apartment. It smells like omelets. It reminds me of Lucy. But like, literally, who is Lucy? However, what's really insane is how the episode ends. Mabel is back in her apartment, pops open her laptop, where she reveals a photo of her, who I'm assuming are some of the Hardy Boys, and drumroll please, murder victim Tim Kono. And that's it. That's the end of the pilot. I do not know what's going on with my voice. I sound like a gravelly, heavy smoker of 40 years, but we're going to persevere. So right off the bat, what are some of my favorite moments or most exciting moments or moments that I consider to be most pivotal? I think just like the first thing that struck me was the quaint, charming vibe. Everything from the aesthetic of the apartment building, the way it's shot, the quirky little intro and intro music, the score, and like the zany plot. It creates such an inviting and charming environment, one that I feel low-key jealous I'm not a part of in real life. Except, like, it's probably good that no one in my apartment building's been murdered, but that's how well-crafted it is that I'm willing to sacrifice any speckles of morality I have left. And then another thing I really like that I think is the linchpin of the show is the banter and chemistry between the three leads, which to some extent is low-key unexpected. 
Obviously, Steve Martin and Martin Short are comedy legends from the same generation who have been doing shows together on the road for years and also have starred on screen together many a time. My personal favourite, Father of the Bride 1 and 2. But throwing Wizards of Waverly Place alum into the mix? Perhaps a mismatched choice. But surprisingly not at all. Her kind of deadpan humour works really well against Martin and Steve's more stylized classic jokes, and the three of them together is just a really great unexpected combo. They're also performance-wise absolutely killing it, which is actually kind of expected. I reiterate, Martin Short, Steve Martin, comedy legends, and they are for a reason. They're hilarious and seasoned professionals, and worthy of absolutely all of their hype. And to be honest, Selena Gomez always kills it on screen for me. I think she's super underrated for her acting. Even from the get-go in Wizards of Waverly Place, she's so funny and weirdly understated and subtle considering she was a literal child actor on Disney Channel. She's always been a more naturalistic breath of fresh air in everything she's been in and this is no different. I'm also glad to see some of that classic Alex Russo sass back in full swing. The nostalgia really hits hard. And then I also just straight up like the plot. Someone's been murdered in a New York apartment building, three amateur and unlikely true crime podcast enthusiasts try and crack the case. It's a strong premise. Plenty of room for antics to come, as I am sure they will. And in terms of what's been most exciting and most pivotal, I mean, obviously the beginning, where we find out that for some reason Selena Gomez is standing over a dead body. And also at the end, when we find out that Selena again has some kind of connection to murder victim Tim Kono. Everything's coming up Gomez, and I definitely want to know what that's all about. Now let's flip that right around and look at some of my least favourite moments, or moments I consider to be least exciting or least pivotal. I mean, I guess if you're expecting a full-blown crime extravaganza with a jump scare a minute and looming, overwhelming, suspenseful mystery, then this show wouldn't be it. Even though the murder is obviously an important part of the plot, considering murders is the second word of the show's title, it's not the show's draw card. Like I said before, I think the tone and the actors and the melding of two generations and even the aesthetic are some of the main players at work here. And the mystery plot is just like a fun added bonus, a compelling bonus, but nonetheless not the central draw card holding the show together. Which for me is actually a positive, but for some may make the show less thrilling than they were expecting. So I guess another thing that could potentially be a negative for annoying people is that it's not exactly highbrow cinema. It's super well done and entertaining, but it doesn't take itself super seriously, which again, for me is a pro. But if you're expecting some meticulous highfalutin masterpiece, then look elsewhere. And then I guess seemingly the least pivotal moment would probably be when Steve Martin makes himself an omelette and throws it in the bin, but also there has to be something deeper going on there. Like, they wouldn't just show that and then leave it. This isn't a David Lynch movie or a quirky little Wes Anderson side. So at the moment, seemingly least pivotal, but I think we're going to expand upon that in episodes to come. Now moving along to my favourite characters. I mean, literally all three of them. Charles is kind of jaded and likes to distance himself from people. How COVID-appropriate. But also is just a bit pissed off barely anyone recognises him in the street anymore, which, like, fair. I'm pissed off people don't recognise me in the street, and never have, because I'm no one. But also, let's face it, Charles is played by legend Steve Martin, who is just inherently likeable. And this, no different. Oliver, an all-round absolute icon. He's funny, he's over the top, 
He's basically the stereotype of an old-time showbiz producer who tries too endearingly hard, but ends up falling short. No pun intended, Martin. And yeah, he's Martin Short. So charisma to boot, laugh a minute, a piece of character acting perfection. And then yeah, you've got Mabel. Sure, we know little to nothing about her at the moment, except that she's being set up to look circumstantially pretty dodge. But I'm enjoying her character. There is the potential for her to be a little bit, I'm not like other girls, I wear headphones, I hate the human race, and the only label I identify as is misanthrope. But the way Selena's playing her, thank God, does not veer into that territory. Yes, she's sarcastic and snarky, but obviously doesn't take herself too seriously because she's a secret, nerdy, true crime podcast enthusiast, who's also down to spend her free time hanging out and gallivanting with Steve Martin and Martin Short, a couple of old guys in her building, in a way that is somehow not creepy at all, and didn't even seem like it could be until I said that sentence aloud. So yeah, kudos to Steve and Martin for not being sketchy and remaining unproblematic icons. But basically, moral of the story, Mabel's pretty cool so far, and I'm a fan. Now, moving on to least favourite characters. This is a pretty short category because we've literally been introduced to about four main players. So my least favourite character is the fourth person we've met, Tim Kono. So far from what we've seen of him, he doesn't seem like a nice guy. He's annoying. He wears a suit. I'm imagining he works on, like, Wall Street. He seems incredibly rude and obnoxious. And we don't need another arrogant white guy living in an expensive Upper West Side apartment. So hot take. I'm kind of glad he's dead. Okay, maybe that's a little extreme, but I'm definitely not mad that he's dead. If someone had to go, I'm glad it's him. Good riddance. One fewer former frat boy rapist on the street. And now, storylines I think will be expanded upon or should be expanded upon, aka what are some things I want to see more or less of. Honestly, at the moment, I want to see less of nothing. But what I want to see more of? The dynamic, power, crime-fighting trio. I want them to get into some cute and quirky antics that continue to highlight their major generation gap. What's better than hijinks and age-fueled misunderstanding? I also want to know more about each of their characters. As I said, we know little to nothing about Selena slash Maple, except that she's living in an apartment she seemingly shouldn't be able to afford at her age. But what's her story? Is she a student? Is she living on family money? Does she actually live there? Or is she pretending to be an Arcadia resident so she can pop in and murder people? And then in terms of questions, I have a lot. Obviously, number one, who murdered Tim Kono? It's what the show's about. Number two, how does Selena know Tim Kono? Why is there a weird photo of her with him and some other absolute randoms? What is she hiding? Is she the murderer? I mean, I think no. That would be insanely on the nose. Mysterious girl we don't know much about, clutching a photograph of herself with the murder victim commits the crime. I mean, what kind of plot would that be? And then, yeah, I also want to know why does Steve Martin randomly make an omelette and then immediately throw it out? Does he just like to remind himself that he's rich and money's no object? Is he auditioning for culinary school and his first assignment is crafting the perfect omelette? Is he super clumsy? And did he just accidentally drop it in the bin? I mean, it looked pretty deliberate to me, but who knows? All I know is I would like to. And yet again, who is Lucy? His ex-wife, his daughter, his mother, his hooker? I think probably one of the four. Next up, who is the random person in the hoodie that Charles, aka Steve Martin, saw heading into the building post-fire alarm? I'm assuming at this point we're supposed to think that whoever that is killed Tim Kono, but also is that a red-hooded herring? Do they mean literally nothing? Time will tell, hopefully. And what's up with Tim Kono's garbage? 
as the trio discovered, there's a trash chute on every floor. So why would you actively trek garbage around every floor of your apartment building if you didn't have to? Especially if you're on the phone. Is disposing of your suicide note drafts really that important and pressing? To me, that seems like unnecessary, unhygienic multitasking. Plus, speaking of the phone, who was he on the phone to? And of course, what's the package all about? Why do they keep going missing? Why does he need that ring so desperately? I want to know. And now moving on to some predictions. I don't really have many. I mean, like I said, I don't think Selena did it. That's way too obvious considering so far she's the only person we know who has a connection to him. So actually, I think maybe either Steve or Martin know something else that they're not letting on. Maybe one of them knew him too. My money would be on Martin short because his character is supposed to be insanely charismatic and likable, and Steve Martin's character is supposed to be kind of grumpy and a loner, aka not that unlikely a suspect. Like, for me, it's not that outlandish to think that a jaded, out-of-work actor who lives alone and doesn't like being disturbed pulled a classic, get off my lawn. Except, instead of get off my lawn, he said, get off my doormat outside my penthouse apartment or I'll murder you. Like, yeah, it's a stretch, but not enough of a stretch for it to be totally crazy, which is why I don't think it's him. If it's one of the main three, my money's on Martin. However, if it's not, I'm out because we don't know anyone else. I guess I'll just see what happens. I'm already giving up. There's no way it's Martin Short. Scrap all of these predictions, that was irrelevant. And now, moving on to my next question, most problematic moments. So this is normally any moments that aren't particularly politically correct, but I always have if applicable in brackets. And honestly, it's really not applicable at all. There is nothing that isn't perfectly wholesome or pleasant or funny or quirky or charming or interesting about this show. Which is saying something considering it's literally about murder. Which obviously doesn't mean that everything about murder is problematic or should be problematic. The act of killing a person is only ever problematic when it's not fictional and actually happens in reality. But a weird side note, it's just literally not gruesome at all. I always have to proof watch things for my mother to see if she can handle them without me, and this absolutely passes the test. It's a very unproblematic, wholesome winner. Now, what category of viewing is this? The three that I always set out for myself are trash, meaning that it's a horribly written, horribly made show that you literally get no enjoyment out of. Treasure, meaning that it's actually really well made and well written and an enjoyable piece of cinema slash television fare. Or guilty pleasure, meaning I understand it's kind of trashy, it's not really the best thing ever made, but I'm very into it and I kind of have guilt about the fact that I'm into it. So I mean, I think you can probably guess which category I'm going to put this in. It's treasure. It's genuinely really good. It's not trying to be super highbrow, but yet is still really well made and compelling and therefore nowhere close to being a guilty pleasure. And obviously isn't trash because as I've already mentioned, I'm super enjoying it. And everyone from the design team, the writers, the actors, the production team, they're all giving it the best. They're at their A game. So there's really nothing more I can say. Now, moving on to viewing style. Who would I watch it with? Where would I watch it? And who would I not watch it with? AKA the least and most ideal viewing circumstances. Again, I think I'm going to be boring and kind of give you a cop-out answer, but I genuinely can't think of a bad circumstance to watch this in. Watch it with family. Watch it with friends. Watch it with kids. I mean, personally, that would be my least ideal option just because I hate children, but it's totally appropriate for them. I've been watching it alone in New York in an apartment building late at night and still I'm not deterred so clearly the content is not remotely confronting or scary. But importantly, still remains compelling. 
a difficult but honestly ideal balance to strike. So yeah, sorry to be so indecisive, but I'm giving you no clear-cut answer. Everything works. I recommend it to all, at any time. And now we've already reached the penultimate question. I say already, but I have no idea how long I've been talking for. It could have been an hour, it could have been four minutes, but will I keep going with the rest of the season? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I want my extensive, extensive questions to be answered. I really want to binge the rest now, but sadly only a few episodes are out, so I'm going to have to wait for weekly installments like a goddamn 90s kid. I say as a kid born in the 90s, but like 98, so I'm still young. Maybe. Anyway, this podcast isn't about me, so I'll cut my existentialism short. This show is a big yes in my books. And now, the final question, rating out of five. I'm going to give it a solid, solid four. Again, it's not the most meticulously crafted masterpiece or fancy aka pretentious piece of cinema out there, but it's such an easy and enjoyable watch. I genuinely love all of the main characters and performances and mainly the way they're gelling with each other so seamlessly, so I seriously cannot wait to keep going. So yeah, hit up Hulu if you're in America or Disney Plus if you're in Australia and treat yourself to this show ASAP. And that's everything that I've got for you this week. Hopefully you got something out of this review. If not, that's fine. Neither did I. And I will talk to you next week when I will be reviewing the first half of a movie that I probably haven't seen yet. Talk to you then. Bye!